We're going to do what we do at Grace. We're going to worship God and then open the Word together and see what God might be saying to us this morning. So you are going to want a Bible. If you have a Bible, you can go on and open up to Genesis 48. Genesis 48, and if you need a Bible, we'll have some people walk around and just slip up a hand and they'll get a Bible to you so you can follow along with us. So as you're finding your way to Genesis uh, chapter 48, we are coming to a close in our study through the book of Genesis that we started all the way back in August and uh, spent the fall going through the book of Genesis, uh, the last several weeks since the new year, really focusing on uh, the life of Joseph. I'm actually going to call an audible, though. Uh, this morning was supposed to be the last week in Genesis, but we didn't actually get all the way to where I think uh, it's important for us as a church to go. So next week will be our last week in Genesis. Um, so I can't say, hey, it's the last week right now. But, uh, but we're going to be looking at uh, what it means to be a people of blessing. What it means to be a people of blessing. Uh, Genesis begins with God speaking the world into creation. And one of the first things that we learn about God is that he is a creative God. But he's not just creative. And he's not just powerful. But he's good. And one of the ways, the first things that we see flowing out of his goodness is that he is a God who blesses, that his words bring forth life, that his words call forth potential and power, that God begins his world with blessing. God the Father speaking blessing over his children. So it's appropriate that Genesis, that begins with God the Father speaking blessing over his children, ends with a father speaking blessing over his children. Because from the beginning, God's plan and design was to create for himself a family with whom he could dwell. And that family was to be a people of blessing. Let me say that one more time. That God's design and intent from the very beginning was to create for himself a family with whom he could dwell. And that family was to be a people of blessing. So Adam and Eve created in the image of God, stewarding the goodness of God's creation, empowered to co-lead with God, to live in intimacy, vulnerability, with their creator and with one another, to be people of blessing, to steward, to have dominion, to carry the potential and the goodness of God's earth, or of God's, uh, of the garden to the ends of the earth with God and with each other. We also know that they screwed that up pretty quickly. We get into the, only the third chapter of Genesis, and mankind turns their back on God, turns against one another, <clears throat> and instead of blessing we see a world defined by the curse. <clears throat> and we're going to talk in just a minute about uh, what those two words actually mean. But carrying that forward, God's plan never changed. His design, just like with Adam and Eve, to create for himself a family with whom he could dwell, that his, his family was to be a people of blessing, is he calls forth out of the brokenness of this world another family. A man named Abram and his wife Sarai, and he, and he says to them, I am going to bless you, using the same language as Adam and Eve, so that through you I may bless the entire world. That God's design for his family was not just simply to bless them, but that they would be a conduit of his blessing into the world. And so we see Abram becoming Abraham and blessing his son, the sacrificial son Isaac, we see Isaac growing up and blessing his sons, Jacob, who would be renamed Israel, and Esau. And then we see Jacob, who becomes Israel, now at the end of Genesis, blessing his sons, the 12 sons of Israel, one of whom is Joseph. That God's intent and design was to speak and to pour his blessing into his people so that they could speak and pour his blessing out into the world. And why does that matter? Because now we sit on this side of Jesus, the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, 
It was reconnecting his people, his sons and daughters, back to the heart of their creator, back into their design to live in intimacy, vulnerability with him and with one another, reconciling all things to himself. That is the church. We are not this building. The church isn't this service that we come to. The church isn't the programs that we run. The church is you and me. It's us, the family of God with whom he dwells in order that we could become a people of what? I've already given you the answer like 18 times. We are a family of God created to be a people of blessing. But as you know, if you've been a part of Grace for any amount of time, we're not interested in simply uh, abstract theological concepts, but how does this really play out into the reality of our lives? And so I want you just to take a moment and just pause and go back to this past Monday. What'd you do on Monday? You don't have to answer out loud, just think to yourself. When you woke up Monday morning, and you maybe got in your car and headed to work when you had that interaction with your boss or a coworker, Or maybe you came home and had that conversation with your teenager or with your spouse or your roommate. Or maybe you headed to practice. Or maybe you went and hung out with friends. And then Tuesday you woke up. And maybe you did the exact same thing all over again. Or maybe Tuesday was a completely different day. And you had a doctor's appointment. Or you had, uh, you had a, a list of errands that you ran. And you ran into people in the stores and in shops. And there was that really annoying lady in the checkout line in front of you that didn't read the sign that's supposed to be 20 items in the express lane and has her whole shopping cart full. You know that lady. Or maybe you were that lady. <laughs> and you're just hoping that no one behind you is counting how many items were in your shopping cart. And then Wednesday, what did you do? Where did you eat Wednesday night? Did you have Mexican? Did you fix spaghetti at home? As you sat around the kitchen table, I mean, just think back to Wednesday. And then Thursday, what was Thursday like? Maybe Friday was that big blow up. Or maybe Friday was an amazing date. What was your week? And as you retrace the steps of your week, just take a moment. When you interacted with those around you, were you a person that spoke blessing or spoke curses? Were you a person that brought life and hope? that believed the best, that called forth the potential, that saw maybe what no one else could see, or did you demean, divide, speak with contempt or criticism? This week, were you a person of blessing? As you checked your social media feeds and chose to forward or like what you chose to forward or like as you sent that text message or you replied to that email? Did you live this week as a person of blessing? Now, I don't say that in a way of trying to heap any kind of condemnation or guilt, but just to be really honest. Like what does it mean to live as God's people in this world? What does it mean to live as people of blessing? And what does that word even mean? And we see here at the end of Genesis, this beautiful chapter that gives us uh, just a sweet picture of what it means or looks like to actually be people of blessing. So I'm going to start here in uh, Genesis 48. If you were here last week, we, uh, we talked through this journey that Joseph has been on where he's made his way out of the pit, he's made his way out of prison and found himself in the palace, given or restored into authority and responsibility, the call of God, the, the dream fulfilled that he'd had ever since he was a teenage boy, was finally coming into reality. And at the same time, Joseph having to work through his own internal angst and woundedness and process through the forgiveness of his brothers who had betrayed him, sold him into slavery, forgotten him, abandoned him, abused him. And then not only did he work through with God his forgiveness, but then confronted with the pain of his past and his brothers show back up, we watch Joseph move through the process of reconciliation. And then now, he's been restored to his father. 
And after this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. Have you ever had that phone call? Hey, it's time to go. We're at the end. I know some of you, even this, uh, the last several weeks, have had phone calls like that. Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, those boys that uh, Joseph had when he was in, had just been uh, instated into the Pharaoh's uh, service, whose names actually are a picture of the forgiveness that he'd walked through. Manasseh, I have forgotten. And Ephraim, you have made me fruitful. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. This old man that knows he has just moments left to live has been storing these words in his heart that he wants to speak over his son and his grandsons. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, El Shaddai, appeared to me at Lutz, which is Bethel, in the land of Canaan, and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, the words of, out, of, uh, out of Eden, and I will make of you a company of people, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are, and the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. And as for me, when I came from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, where there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and buried her on the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So there's a lot going on in this interaction, but it's actually a really beautiful, uh, uh, just a sweet picture of a father, a grandfather's blessing over the next generation. What he's doing is he's bringing these sons of uh, Joseph to him. You can see that he brings them on their knees and just cries and holds them those tender final moments. And then he speaks a blessing, and he removes them from his knee, and it says they are standing beside him. Joseph positions them the way they should be positioned, which is that the greater blessing goes to the firstborn. So the right hand is the sign of favor. And so Joseph positions his firstborn son at Jacob's right hand. He takes his secondborn son and places it at his left hand. But then Jacob does something unexpected, and he crosses his hands. And he places his right hand, the, sign, the hand of favor, on the younger son and takes his left hand, still a sign of blessing, but the, the second blessing and places it on the head of the firstborn. Now, he can't see. He's an old man. He's blind in age. And, and so he, he doesn't really, uh, it seems like, doesn't know what he's doing. And so Joseph tries to correct his dad. And it says that he kind of stops him mid-blessing, takes the sons and tries to recross them. No, 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 dad, you got your hands wrong. And Jacob actually says, no, 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 I know what I'm doing. This one also will be blessed, but the greater blessing is going to go to the firstborn. So what's going on here? Why is this all significant? Well, before we get there, I think it's important that we understand even what those words, uh, this, uh, this idea of blessing means, and begin to even process in our own life 
what it means to receive and to extend blessing to others. The literal word blessing is the word barak in the Hebrew. And the, the root of that word means to bend the knee. It's actually used in Genesis of a camel kneeling down to stoop to get water. And so this, this picture of bending the knee, of lowering oneself, is the picture of blessing, of bowing. Now, I know culturally, we don't really have a culture that bows still. Uh, you know, in some countries where there's still royalty, kings and queens, uh, it is, uh, you know, part of their culture, what it means to bow. But to bow is to give honor, to give value to another person. It's to lower myself, recognizing your worth. So when we sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul, what we're saying is, I am bowing before you, God. I'm recognizing your eternal, incredible value and worth. I'm giving you honor. I'm blessing you. And so when we bless somebody else, what we're actually doing is we're intentionally lowering ourselves in order to lift them up. That our words would be words that add value or worth to their life. Another way of saying that is it's it's, it's our words that add weight to their life. Because the other use of the word blessing, uh, of the root word for blessing, barak, isn't just to bow down. It's also to give weight to coming from the idea of money exchange. So, you know, for us, if you have some bills in your pocket, you know the value of those bills based on the number that's written on them, right? One, five, 10, 20. For some of you, 100. I'll talk to you afterwards. And that, but it has the same weight. It's just the number that tells us. Back in the day, they didn't have that kind of printing system. And so how you knew the value of the currency that you were exchanging was literally the weight of that currency. So they would weigh the coins, and that coin would have this much value. If you added more coins, that would be more valuable. And so blessing is when our words add value, give weight or substance or honor, add to a person's life. Another way of getting at that is to take the opposite of blessing, which is the idea of cursing. And literally in the Hebrew, the word for curse means to dam up a stream or to trickle muddy water. In other words, that the life-flowing words that are meant to bring uh, fruitfulness actually get shut off or shut down. This is even more significant if you live in the desert where water literally is life. So to be cursed is to be cut off from the source of life. So when we curse somebody with our words, it is when we shut them down or shut off or cut off to speak a negative outcome or a negative future. It's as simple as you are such an idiot and you're never going to amount to anything. And there are some people that wouldn't allow a cuss word to cross their kitchen table but curse their children all day long. It's the dad that stands outside of the fence of his son's t-ball game and goes, that's really all you got? Are you that weak? You're such an idiot. You're always late. You're so stupid. You're terrible at math. And there are some of you right now, 30, 40, 50, 70 years old, that are still carrying the weight of a curse spoken over you when you were a child. Because words have power. And our words have power because you were created in the image of a God who speaks words and life into being. Your words have eternal weight, and you know this, some of you. And so when you look at yourself in the mirror and you say things, the always and the nevers, I always mess things up. I never get things right. I'm such a moron. I'm so ugly. I don't matter to anyone. That's a curse. It's the shutting down of life into your soul. And some of the things that you say to yourself, that you curse yourself, you've been carrying the weight of that curse for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. From a coach, from a mom, from a dad. You know the power of cursing. And curses aren't like some magical thing that has power. Curses only have power when we receive them as true. And the reason we're so vulnerable to curses as a child 
is because children don't have the capacity to discern between what is real and what's imaginary. So in other words, if, if Mickey Mouse walks in the door right now, all of you in here are going to know that some poor high school kid making minimum wage sweating his brains out right now. If Mickey Mouse walked onto the Grace Kids hallway, those kids would think, Mickey Mouse just walked onto the hallway. Because they don't have the capacity to discern what's real and what's imaginary. So when somebody speaks a word over them, you're such an idiot. You're not good for anything. You're not going to ever amount to anything. No one cares about what you think. What you say doesn't matter. There's not the discernment to go, that's not right. That's not real. The power of a curse is when it's received is true. The amazing thing is that Jesus is the curse breaker, and there are some of you in this room that are weighed down by the power of a curse that you've been carrying for decades that Jesus wants to set you free from. Because he's not a God who speaks curses. He's a God who speaks blessing, who speaks life and hope and healing and forgiveness and mercy. who adds value to. So when you look back on your week, what were your words? And the substance of a blessing comes out of our history. The interesting, uh, one of the interesting ironies of this scene with blind Jacob blessing his grandchildren is that it was actually Jacob who deceived his blind father into stealing his brother's blessing, Esau, if you remember that. And here we have a man who has encountered God since his days of being the treacherous deceiver, the one who flees and runs away, the one who divides families. And now, having wrestled with God, encountered God at Bethel, which he mentions in his blessing. He is now able to stand in a place of speaking blessing over his children and his grandchildren. You can't give what you haven't received. You can't give what you don't have. The substance of a blessing or the blessing that you're able to speak into the lives of the people around you is the weight of the history that you carry. Now, some of you, as I said, are quickly easy to identify. And I know that right now that just with some of you, there were some memories that were coming to mind of curses spoken over you. And all I want to say there is that Jesus has the power to break that curse. And we confess it, we're honest with him. Jesus, I've been believing, the, I've been believing this word spoken over me. Will you set me free? Who do you say I am? What do you say about me? And so, uh, so Jacob is speaking a blessing out of his history, a man who has walked with God, wrestled with God, at first ran away, ignored God, made a joke of God's family, but now stands in a place of adding substance and value and weight to his family because he has encountered God. And some of you never received a father's blessing. You never had someone look you in the eye and say, I see you. I love you. You're incredibly valuable. God has good things in store for you. And there are some of you that feel that lack of a father's blessing over your own soul and are going out into the world striving with all of your energy to prove that you have something to offer because no one ever spoke a word of blessing into your lives. But the good news is not just that Jesus is a curse breaker, but the God of this universe the Heavenly Father looks at each and every one of you. Yes, you. Not just the person next to you. And says, I see you. I know you. And I gave everything for you. I love you. I am for you. I have never left you. I have never given up on you. I have been beside you in the pain and in the joy of your life even when you didn't know I was there, even when you were angry with me, running away from me, cursing me, or just didn't give a flip about me, I was always with you. And the Father's blessing, from the first words of Genesis till sitting right now in 2022 in Walton County, Georgia, 
the eternal word of God still speaks. And some of you may not just need to break the power of a curse in your past, but may, for the first time, need to receive your Heavenly Father's blessing into your life. That substance and value and weight and set you free. So the substance of a blessing flows out of our history, but it also speaks forth what is to come for the next generation. It's believing that in the kingdom, what God can do. So to bless means to see somebody. When's the last time that you actually felt seen? And we're surrounded by all kinds of devices that connect us to all kinds of people that really, frankly, don't really give a rip about your life. It's sort of this illusion of connection, this noise and this busyness of nonsense and distraction. But when was the last time that you felt seen? When was the last time that you saw the people around you? Not like it acknowledged their presence, that they were there. Hey, you're wearing one shoe. Get the other shoe on. We have to leave. I see that you're missing a shoe. Not that this ever happens in our house. But when was the last time that you saw that little person? When was the last time that you saw your spouse? When was the last time that you saw your roommate or your best friend? Not just acknowledge their presence, but actually with them, saw them for who they are. For the hurt they carry, for the hope that they hold on to, for the wounds that they're healing from, for the things that they're excited about. The first step to blessing is to see. And though Jacob was blind, he actually saw what was in those boys in ways that their father didn't even see. It's to see, and it's to affirm. I see you, I know you, and I call this out in you. Identity, destiny, the things that God planted in their hearts when he knit them together in their mother's womb. See, to know, to affirm, and then to point them to their inheritance. The hope that they have. What is waiting for them that God wants to give. The other day, this is a, <clears throat> a more recent tender story, so I'm trying to even process how to word it well. Um, my kids were out, out of town. They'd gone to camp, and I had gone up to their rooms to turn the lights off, which I feel like is probably, like, the number one job of a dad is turning off the lights behind their children. <laughs> so on that, I'm winning as a father. <laughs> and so I'd gone upstairs, and I was turning off the lights. Basically, I think every light upstairs was still left on. And, uh, and I'm walking around my kid's room, and I just started looking. I saw what books they had chosen to have on their shelf and the things that were on the walls. And I found a note that a friend had written to one of my kids, just a sweet little note. And, and, it, and as I was reading it, which I know I probably wasn't supposed to, but I did. <laughs> Father's rights. And uh, I just realized that they were speaking my child's love language. I mean, they were just speaking into my kid's heart. But what hit me, when was the last time that I spoke into my child's heart? Not spoke to my child. I speak to them all the time. But actually stopped long enough to see them. And it was like in that room, for the first time in a long time, I actually saw my daughter. 
And I just went downstairs and just cried. And she'd been in front of me the whole time, and I hadn't seen her. And so I wrote her a little something, and, and it was less about her and more about me as a dad and what it means to be a father. And then realizing, how many people am I around that I don't see? And then in seeing, to call that out, to bless. Every summer, I get the chance to take my boys up to a father-son camp up at Camp Ridgecrest in North Carolina. And at one point in the weekend, uh, they have you write a letter to your sons. And then at the end of the, the week, uh, that final night, you sit around the fire and, and read them their letter. So I now have about seven years of letters that I've written to my boys. Now, when they were little, I mean, just keeping them in their seat was, you know, a victory enough. But these were the words that I'd hoped for them, the things that I saw in them. And that exercise, that intentional time of just of, of having to call to mind, okay, God, when you see this boy, who is he to you? And writing this out, learning to speak blessing over my sons. But one of the things they do over that weekend, which is the element of how to actually bless, we, we bless out of our, our history, we bless into their future, uh, we see them, we affirm them, or sorry, we see them, we know them, we affirm them, and we point them to their inheritance. But actually, the physical act of blessing, what Jacob would have done with these boys here, you see he has them on, their, on his knees, and then he sets them aside, and it says that he, he kneels before them to bend the knee, to bow down. And so at one point in the weekend, they'll have all the boys come and stand in front of their dads. And the dads will, will kneel down in front of their sons. So the first aspect of, a, of giving a blessing is meaningful touch. Over and over again through the scriptures, it's that human act of touching in a healthy way. A hand on the head, a hand on the shoulders. And in that physical act of flesh and blood connection, I'm with you. I see you. And so there's meaningful touch, and then, there's, uh, and then we speak words of affirmation. And so I would take my boys, and I'd put my hands on their shoulder, and I would look them in the eye, and I would call them by name, Benaiah, you're my son, and I love you. I am so proud of you. And I would speak, this is who I see you are. I, this is what I, when I watch you, and this is what I hope for you. And you speak those meaningful words of identity and future. But there's another aspect of blessing beyond just meaningful touch and that spoken word of affirmation where the Father is desiring by his Holy Spirit to speak into every one of our lives, even right now. And God's inviting us to begin speaking into the people that we encounter that are around us. But it's not just touch. It's not just words. But it's also a commitment. Latent in the words that we speak. That I will give everything. I will commit to doing everything I can to see those words become a reality. And we have a God in heaven that looks you in the eyes, that calls you by name, that knows and calls forth what he's uniquely put inside of you to be and to do for the sake of his kingdom who lowered himself and gave up his life to say, I will do everything that this could become a reality. That's what it means to be a people of blessing. And we receive the blessing of the Father. Most clearly known and seen in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And then having received, that we are, able, we are people who are able to enter into this world with different eyes to see what no one else can see, to hear what no one else can hear, to call forth what no one else believes. It's that second grade kid in your classroom that everyone else has given up on. To look them in the eye and, and by the voice of the Father, a vision from God for who that little kid could be, fully awake and alive in his kingdom. This is who I see you are. This is what God has for you. 
It's to walk into our marriages. It's to walk into our teenagers' rooms. It's to walk into our friends and to actually see them and to call forth what God sees. That's the invitation of what it means to be the family of God. That's the invitation of what it means to be the people of God. That's the invitation of what it means to be a church. We should be the most blessed blessing of people out there. And how come it is that that what the church is actually known for is the way that we condemn and divide and hate and despise all the things that we are against and the way we step on people and lower and demean people? Surely it breaks Jesus' heart. When we get up in all of our righteous anger and we tear down and we destroy, and instead of calling out who God says that person is or what God sees about that situation, we are just as quick as the rest of the world to point out how awful and terrible it is, how evil and, and ugly they are. It shall not be so. It's not who you are. It's not who you are. You are the beloved sons and daughters of a God who sees you, who knows you, who loves you, and is calling out everything that he put in you. There's a friend of ours uh, from Grace Neville, a lady. She's a principal uh, in Gwinnett County. And uh, Patty Heitmuller. And she, uh, she always chose schools that were considered sort of the, the worst schools, the schools no one wanted to be principal. And uh, so she was at Radloff Middle School. It was in the, it's in the Meadow Creek cluster. And just on any scale of, like, uh, the way they score, score schools, um, say that seven times fast, uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, it was not at the time anything that anyone would want to be at, but she chose to go there. And every morning uh, on the announcements, she would say over those kids, she'd say, welcome to Radloff Middle, the brightest, the best, and the smartest school in Gwinnett County. And then on Tuesday, welcome to Radloff the brightest, the best, and the smartest school in Gwinnett County. And then on Wednesday, welcome to Radloff, the brightest, the best, and the smartest school in Gwinnett County. And you know what those kids started to believe? We're the brightest, the best, and the smartest kids in Gwinnett County. You know what everyone else was saying about them? They're the dumbest, worthless, most troublesome kids in Gwinnett County. But you know what they began to believe? We're the brightest, the best, and the smartest kids in Gwinnett County. Why? Because he chose to bless. There's a lady in our church, um, uh, that Keely, who cleans the church, but she also does other houses in the community. And one of the things that she intentionally does as she's cleaning for people is to pray for them, to bless them. And uh, she was telling me a story that uh, that one of the guys that she cleans his house for is just clearly has, wants nothing to do with Jesus and told her, he's like, I'm not into the Jesus thing. Just let's not talk about him. She's like, oh, that's fine. But then she prays over all of his clothes and his counters in the name of Jesus. And the other day he came up to her and he said, uh, he goes, hey, um, let me talk to you. There's a lady down the street that we just found out has cancer. Um, would you just do that thing you do? In other words, would you pray for her? Why? How is his heart being opened? Because she's intentionally walking into his home to speak blessing, to call forth what God could do in the heart of somebody that has, wants nothing to do with God. What does that mean for you? When we moved here to Monroe 10 years ago, some of y'all know this story. That first summer, we were trying to decide about whether we were actually going to officially move full-time to, to be here, to pastor this church. And, uh, and seriously, 100%. I wish this wasn't true, but every person that we encountered, when we told them we were thinking about moving to Monroe, you know what they told us? Why? Why would you do that? People are moving away from Monroe, not to Monroe. 
That's the place you're trying to get out of. And we actually started saying is that we felt like this was a cursed town. Not because there was some magical spell put over it, but because of the things that had been spoken over it for however long. These words of curses, that's a, a forgotten place, that's a hopeless place, that's a drug-infested place, that's a, an impoverished place. No one would raise their kids there. In fact, uh, on Friday, I had the chance, uh, we officially signed our church loan document. So we were officially done, praise the Lord, with, uh, not with the debt, but with, uh, with the buildings. <laughs> May it be, Lord. Uh, but when we were signing the bank, I, I ran into the lady that actually did our home loan on the house that we bought in town uh, when we first moved here, and we're restoring this old house. And, and one of the stories that she told us years later was uh, after we first met her, and we told her that we wanted to, you know, we uh, were looking at buying this old house on Davis, near Davis Street and, um, and uh, you know, fixing it up, kind of moving into a part of town that most people had, had given up on. She, she told us she walked into her boss's office, and she said, uh, I just met this sweet young couple, and I don't know how to tell them that they're making a terrible decision. <laughs> but we just made a choice, and some of you, are, a lot of you are a part of this, that we were going to be a people who bless. That even in the worst situations, even in the things that everyone had given up on, even in the most hopeless circumstances, that we were going to speak blessing. We were going to believe the best, we were going to see the best, and we were going to call forth the best. We were going to try to find the potential, even in the worst problems. We had this phrase eight years ago, some of you still have the t-shirts, we believe in Monroe, which honestly, some of you that wore those t-shirts, people laughed at, didn't they? We believe in Monroe. We're going to see this place from God's kingdom perspective. And the thing that everyone else has given up on, we're going to believe in. The things that everyone's running away from, we're going to run towards. The places that are broken, we're going to call forth the beauty. The places that are abandoned, we're going to make places of belonging. That is what it means to be the church. That is who we are, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to be a people who bless. And now for a whole lot of reasons, besides just Grace Monroe, but I think that Grace Monroe got to be a part of it. Do you know what Monroe is known for now around the state of Georgia? The place that everyone wants to move to. A great place to live. Where you can't find a house because everyone wants a house. It's now recognized as one of the, like, we, we were just a, last year received an award as a city that only 20 other cities in Georgia have ever gotten as a city of excellence. Because people began to believe. Because people began to bless. What does it mean for you to be a person of blessing, to live a life of blessing? Today, as we close, we want to do something special today that's a little bit different, as we want to commission and anoint our, um, our group leaders and our class leaders those who have stepped up into a place of leadership and a place of calling, who have chosen to be people of blessing, to open their hearts and their homes, to open their lives to others. And we want to commission them into this next season. And so we want to speak a blessing over them even as they uh, choose to become a blessing for others. And so I think Brandon's on his way down here. If, if you're a group leader, I'm going to invite you just to come on up uh, here to the front. If you're leading a grace group, if you're teaching a, a learning community, if you celebrate recovery, if you're doing a care ministry, uh, woven, any of the, the leadership positions, come on up, even if you were in the first service. I know there's some of you that were in the first service. And we want to, we want to pray an anointing and a blessing over you. So come on forward. And as they make their way up, I, I want to say this last thing. This area of blessings and cursing, if you can't tell, it means a lot to me. <laughs> because I think it's who we're meant to be as a church. And if even as I was teaching, there are places that you recognize the weight of a curse spoken over you, one of my favorite things is to pray with people to see the power of curses broken and to step into the blessing that God gives. It's why we end church every, every week with the way that we end church. 
which we'll do here in just a moment. But if you're getting stirred up about any of that, then come talk to me. Come talk to, to any of our elders. Come talk to any of these amazing people who have chosen to, to lead groups in their homes or uh, here at the church. You don't have to walk through this alone. May God call us into this sacred task of becoming people of blessing. And so, this is the part that Brandon was going to do. I'm just going to make it up now. (laughs) Oh, there it is. Okay. So in the Bible... There are two sacred select groups of people that would be anointed, priests and kings. Priests who represented God before people and, rep- and interceded for people before God. And kings, those given responsibility to have authority. And we see that Jesus' kingdom is an authority for the sake of power. It's authority for the sake of servant to bend the knee, to lower oneself in order to lift up somebody else. So each of these men and women here have chosen to bend the knee, to lower themselves, to let go of their agendas in order to serve us, the church. And they've stepped into a priestly role. Here, look at me. You're stepping into a priestly role. To represent God to people and to represent before God these people. It's a sacred calling. And so we want to anoint you with oil. Again, there's nothing magical about it. It's a symbolic act of God doing two things. One, setting apart for the sake of service. And two, it's the declaration of God of divine favor. That God sees you. He knows you, and he loves you, and he is the one calling you forward. So we anoint you with the favor of God, and we anoint you to be set apart for the sake of serving. I invite you all to stand. And I'm going to ask our leaders here if y'all just kind of make your way down the different aisles. So go on and just start walking down and kind of separating there. And as a church, we just want to pray a blessing over these men and women. 
So if you don't know them by name, just ask them their name. That's okay. But I'm going to ask all of you all just like huddle style. Just kind of surround these, these people. Come lay a hand on their shoulder. We want to pray God's blessing over them. We want to pray God's commissioning over them. But yeah, just come forward. And then just out loud, just start praying a blessing over these men and women. And then I'll close this here in just a second. daughters of yours who have chosen to step into a place of spiritual leadership. And so we pray, would you grow them up as sons and daughters becoming spiritual mothers and fathers? Lord, we recognize and affirm that you see them, you call them by name, and you will lead them forward. So like James, we pray divine wisdom from heaven, discernment. We pray that you would put a hedge of protection over them extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy that would want to accuse or undermine or sow seeds of doubt or discord. Will you give them strength, wisdom beyond measure, root them in your love, cover them by your grace. And so in the name of Jesus, we commission you into God's call of ministry on your life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.